Hello, welcome to Helen Talks Who. I'm Helen and today I'm talking about the waters of Mars. Um, so let's start by talking about the concept and the setting of this episode. Because the concept of this episode is possibly one of my favourites ever in Doctor Who. Um, and there's a few different elements to that. Firstly, the fact that the setting feels in reach. So at the time this was broadcast in 2009, the setting was 50 years in the future, 2059. And you have that added link by, you know, you find out that Adelaide is a child in 2009, which is obviously interesting when you're a child or a teenager watching it to sort of, um, yeah, look at right, this is going to happen when I'm an adult kind of thing. Um, and it still feels in reach, obviously. the, To be honest, I think the sort of Mars exploration timelines are still pretty much what they were 10, 15 years ago, as far as I know. Um, so that's great. It makes it kind of um, close. But the... The main concept of this story is this idea that it's a future story, it's not a historical, but the Doctor knows what's going to happen. To the Doctor, this is a historical event, just like Pompeii was, just like Avica Christie and her disappearance was. So you have the Doctor reacting in the same way that he does to historical celebrities but with a character that you know we don't know and it also because what happens to the base is this massive um tragic event it kind of gives this story an element of the tragic in the kind of dramatic sense um it's really good so and there's a few kind of um there's there's a few kind of bits in this episode that give me this sense of this kind of tragedy. So we have the doctor knowing the ending, this kind of inevitability where you've got this almost well the use of dramatic irony, I suppose, because not only does the doctor know what's going to happen, we get those glimpses of the uh, of of the crew's obituaries, so we kind of know what's going to happen as well. So it's this sense that they're barreling towards something that cannot, you know, cannot be changed. And that serves to just add an extra something to all of the normal sort of base under siege moments. There's this extra thing of we know it's going to end badly. So, for example, um, about halfway through the episode, uh when they go and see the um the underground ice uh lake thing and they find that the uh filter only broke recently and therefore the rest of the crew are not infected they can leave they can escape there's this moment of joy for adelaide um but the doctor knows that something else must happen and we know as well we're waiting for we're waiting for something to go wrong which of course it does 
Um, in terms of the dramatic sense of tragedy, the one of the main elements of a dramatic tragedy is this idea of having a downfall of a hero via their hamartia, their fatal flaw. And that is obviously relevant here for the Doctor with what he sort of goes through, the fact that he kind of gives in to temptation, and I will talk a lot more about that. Um, you also have things like the kind of just the general tone of the episode um near the end when the doctor's walking away in his space suit and he can hear the crew getting picked off one by one in the main base it's you know it partially gives this kind of like grim tone that's appropriate for the episode but it also is building towards the doctor breaking one of his internal rules I suppose and 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 his downfall um so the other point of this uh this whole concept that I think is um really good and, and really well done is this idea that not only does the doctor know what happens to Bowie Base One he also sees it as a fixed point. Um, and it's, it's a good way of answering the usual why doesn't he just use the TARDIS to save everyone question, which, you know, I've discussed based on the siege stories before. You always need a reason why they can't leave and a reason why the TARDIS is out of commission. And here it, it's not that the TARDIS is out of commission, he can walk across Mars and, and, and get it. Uh, it's it, it, this other thing that's stopping him, this fact that he knows that the base has to be destroyed. Um, and it's good because that's a slightly kind of sci-fi reason, the Doctor just saying, yes, I can see that this is a fixed point. I, I know this is what must happen. But... Then later on in the episode, we're given a sort of an emotional dimension to it by um, the Doctor telling Adelaide that it actually inspires her granddaughter to explore space. And it it's a great weaving together of this sort of sci-fi explanation and, you know, an emotional one because that makes it easier for us to properly understand why the Doctor sees the event as important. You know, if we just had the Doctor's word for it, that, yes, I can't change anything, it, would, um, it, wouldn't, it, w it wouldn't land in the same way. It, whereas kind of saying, look, the base needs to be destroyed because otherwise humanity is not going to spread out into space and, and history, future history, is going to be different. It gives the story this kind of, um, this proper scale, which is really appropriate for a story about, you know, the first humans on Mars, about space pioneers. It's great. So that's the setting. Let's move on to the character. Now, the main character that we care about from the one-off cast is Adelaide. 
um, played by Lindy Duncan. Absolutely marvellous character. I, yeah, she's just brilliant and brilliant casting as well. All of the other characters, they're perfectly likeable, but they are all a bit forgettable. Which, to be honest, is absolutely fine. Because Adelaide is the key character and she's the one that the Doctor and we as the audience spend the most time with. So I don't mind that the other characters are a bit, um, you know, one-dimensional. Um, I, I, I don't think that matters too much. Because we sort of, we're not, they're, they're not on screen enough for it to matter if 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 there was you know a whole subplot with um some of some of the other side characters we would maybe be bothered by them being a bit sort of forgettable but because they're really just there as sort of as, as background characters to you know because you don't just have one person on a base but Adelaide now I'm going to um talk a bit about sort of the doctor's reaction to Adelaide and their sort of interaction. But I think the key thing is that she goes from obviously she starts off the episode um threatening the doctor with a gun because he walked into a base on Mars that he shouldn't be in. So, you know, fair enough. But she goes from that to um, telling the Doctor the story of the Daleks sparing her life and uh, that exchange that her and the Doctor have of Adelaide saying, I knew I would follow it, and the Doctor going, but not for revenge. And Adelaide just replies, what would be the point of that? I think from that exchange um, and from how Adelaide kind of reacts to the things that happen. The Doctor kind of sees this kindred spirit in her, I think, um, which plays into his main arc because, you know, this is... The sci-fi stuff is all well and good and the, you know, the one-off characters, they're, they're great, but the meat of this episode is the Doctor's reaction to the story that he's in. So I think the first um, question I do want to look at is like, why does the Doctor stay? Because the story makes a point of several times in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes of the Doctor going, I really need to go. Um, but he stays. So at first, the first time he said that, Adelaide forces him to stay because something slightly weird kicks off and she goes, you're new, you probably caused it, we need to double check. But he is also curious because although he knows the result of what happens on that day, he knows that the base will be destroyed, he doesn't know why it happens. Um, which I feel is something that we see in um, historical episodes sometimes of the Doctor sort of knowing what happens but being curious to know sort of why um, things happen like with Agatha Christie's disappearance 
um, in, in the Unicorn and the Wasp last series. Um, he's also worried about the threat to the Earth. And I think this more comes into play the second time he's going, I really should leave, the time when uh, they're in the um, medical bay and he's sort of banging his head against the uh, thing that looks like a fridge that probably isn't a fridge. Um, yeah, he's worried about the threat to the Earth because there's probably an element where he knows that the base is going to be destroyed, but, like, he do if he's landed there, he doesn't know if that's the, you know, the lesser of two evils choice. Which actually brings me on to the, um, to the next quote in this episode that I wanted to talk about, which is when, late, late in the episode, when the Doctor is actually leaving... Um, and he's explaining to Adelaide why, why he's been so weird, basically. And he says, imagine you're in Pompeii and you try to save them, but in doing so, you make it happen. Now, they, they literally draw that, the exact same parallel of they're the possibility that the base being destroyed is the equivalent of Pompeii being destroyed in the fires of Pompeii, where that was the least bad choice, where the only the other option was, you know, the whole of Earth being invaded. It's it's exactly the same parallel here. Um but that line's interesting because firstly it's drawing that parallel, but secondly the doctor is particularly, I think, dwelling on the difference between ob observing a bad event and not being able to stop it versus actually triggering the bad event, which is what happened in Pompeii. Because he says, anything I do just makes it happen. The Doctor is carrying carrying that. I wonder if that's exacerbated as well. Because one of the points of the Pompeii episode was that Donna was there to share the burden. And obviously she can't remember that anymore. Um, so I wonder if him thinking about it, that is kind of exacerbated by the fact that not only is Donna no longer travelling with him but she also, she can't remember that she did that so it, it maybe feels more like it was all his responsibility again but I think this is a really interesting point because up to this point the Doctor was kind of okay with the Bowie base tragedy being a thing in the history books which I think is something that you know we can think of if we think of a tragic event from the history books we can you know look at it we can look at you know how can we make sure it doesn't happen again and all of that but we can view it with some historical distance I suppose 
to the Doctor, the idea of being part of this tragedy, and in this case specifically the idea of potentially being the cause of it, feels like too much to bear. And I think, I, I just, this, this idea is an absolutely genius take of the time travel aspect of the show. I love this idea that it's taking the kind of things that we normally wrestle with in historical episodes and is instead doing it as a future sci-fi based episode. I think it's so good. Um, now, I promised I'd talk a bit more about Adelaide and how um and 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 how you know the Doctor and them sort of interact. This idea of the Doctor, you know, not being able to bear the idea of of being a part of of the Bowie based tragedy, it's really amplified by the admiration that he has for Adelaide, because in Adelaide he he meets someone that he really wants to save just you know he 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 wants her to be the next Caecilius where he can save her and it's okay and he can't he could he could have saved all of the others earlier on in the episode in theory i know um uh, I, I don't know what I was going to say there, but, but he could have saved them all earlier on in the episode, but he can't save Adelaide, and she's, she's the one he's got this, 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 this bond with, and, and, and has, you know, he really sees her as this sort of, like, kindred spirit, and person that he genuinely admires. Um which is heartbreaking you can see why that alongside you know the other stuff I've discussed does really drive him to to end up going down the path of the Time Lord Victoria stuff so let's discuss a little bit of the um the doctor going all Time Lord Victorious at the end of the episode um so there's two points that I want to pick out. The first is that, so when he comes back, when he decides to save them and he, he comes back and he, he starts looking around for what to, um, you know, what to use to, to stop this coming, he, he mentions that, uh, you know, his death has been prophesied. He mentions the whole four knock thing and he says... I'm pretty sure I know what that means and it's not here and it's not now. He's essentially behaving like like this idea of my death has been prophesied, so I'm functionally immortal. Um which I kind of love. Um I I I I feel like that's a very um real way of behaving. You know, you've been told that I know not exactly when I'm going to die, but I know that it's. I know that it's not yet, uh. So therefore. I don't know this idea of like. Uh, 
not being quite so scared of the dangers. I think that's just a really interesting way for a, a fictional character specifically to behave. Um, but of course, so obviously the Doctor going to all-time Lord Victorian, it's, it's this twisted version of his usual heroics and I love how that's portrayed in the in in the sort of um final ten minutes or so of the episode. Um again, and I, I feel like I've been saying this every episode at the moment, but David Tennant's performance is just absolutely stunning. Um so it's this idea of like the doctor's doing all this typically heroic stuff, you know, um finding the robot, um helping them to seal the uh seal the base walls and all of that but he's doing it kind of kind of he's he's more frenetic he's he's like kind of got this sort of manic energy to it and he also has this like way cockier dialogue than usual the most uh obvious example of that is is when they um they're back on earth and they step out the TARDIS and he says isn't anyone going to thank me like that's a very undoctorish thing to say you know I mean we had in the next doctor that whole thing of Jackson Lake saying he he saves the world and he rarely gets thanks we we see that theme um we we see that theme recur so having the doctor actually you know say isn't anyone going to thank me it does jar um it's great like it's a really great way of doing it um i think it was quite uh, it it was very dramatic at the time. Obviously, now we know that it all kind of works out, but it was very dramatic in the time, knowing that this was, you know, the tenth Doctor's penultimate story, and seeing him kind of lose it like this. It was very dramatic. So obviously he doesn't stay as Time Lord Victorious for, you know, heading out of the episode. He does, um, it does get punctured within the episode. And it's Adelaide that does so, which is why, you know, which is why her characterization has been such a big part of, of, uh, of, of this story. Um, and there's some interesting parallels here. So earlier in the episode, when Adelaide um locks the Doctor in the airlock and kind of forces him to tell her what's up, um, the Doctor tells Adelaide that she's going to die and she says, I won't die. I will not. Um, and... It's interesting because I do wonder if he somewhat takes this forward into his final story. Because although, although the kind of the the worst part of the Time Lord Victoria stuff is punctured, you know there is still an element of the Doctor after this story, 
running away from death and if 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 you think ahead to both him raging at his death when it finally comes which i'm sure is a scene i will talk about in much greater depth next episode um and even if you think ahead to his final words so i do wonder if if he sort of takes that influence forward because so there's the parallel of Adelaide going no I'm not gonna die I'm gonna try my very best to to survive which she doesn't say that second bit but it's very much in her actions and yeah the doctor doing the running away from death and his rage of it and then Adelaide's sacrifice is paralleled in 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 the in the next story in the doctor's sort of quiet acceptance when he kind of goes of course I'm going to save you and steps into the you know the glass booth next episode it's kind of yeah that I think there's a parallel there between how Adelaide faces faces death and how the tenth doctor does um it is interesting because so adelaide sacrifice at the end of the episode stops the doctor from going too far down the time lord victorious path but there's definitely something that's unresolved in the emotions there for the doctor you know he still got that rawness of okay i realize i went too far but I still don't want to get want to die, you know. Um, and I think, yeah, that's an interesting parallel. Um, cool. So thank you very much for listening. Um, I have an email address for this podcast. If anyone would like to get in touch, if you have any commentary, um, I'd love to hear from you. The email address is helentalkswho at gmail.com. Next time, I'll be watching The End of Time. Um, I would like to, 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 to note that I, am, um, I will be watching and recording The End of Time. It is now, so today is the 18th of October. Jodie Whittaker's regeneration is on Sunday in less than a week. I will be watching and recording my episode for The End of Time before that happens i did not plan it this way but it's worked out very nicely that i'm watching the 10th doctor's regeneration and the end of russell t davies first doctor who era just before jodie whittaker's regeneration and the start of russell t davies second doctor who era nice timing helen see ya